history, myth, legend, and folklore, the Reaper has always been our guide to the other side. My name is Burton, and join me as we follow the Reaper. Welcome back, my friends, and I hope everyone had a wonderful turkey day filled with friends, family, food, and maybe even a few stories. I am sorry for the delay. I expected to be able to release this episode on Thanksgiving. But as the holidays do, I ended up much busier than expected. As a result, there will be a brand new episode next week as well, as well as a a Christmas and New Year special to follow. Just don't want to leave you guys hanging. So this should be a full month of weekly releases and gearing up for the new year. And for that, I need your help, dear listener. This show lives and dies by your stories. So don't let the Reaper turn its gaze towards us just yet. And if you or anyone you know has a story that they would like shared on the podcast, please reach out on Facebook or Instagram or send us an email at followthereaperpodcast at gmail.com. I cannot wait to hear from you. Last week, we took a little bit of a turn away from my personal stories, and we talked ghosts and doppelgangers, featured our first ever listener submission from my friend Crystal. Huge shout out. Hope you're still listening. Tonight, I'd like to share with you a couple more of my stories. Only this time, I have some backup. Up until now, I've told you stories from earlier years of my life, until about the age of 18 or so. Over the next handful of episodes is where we get caught up to now. About 15 years ago, I met one of the best friends I'd ever have, Josh. I'll never forget the first time we met, I walked into his house, and he was watching a show on Travel Channel about Bigfoot called Destination Truth. We immediately connected on our love of the paranormal and have been friends ever since. Together, we have gone on many paranormal investigations and experienced many strange things. The first investigation we ever went on together was about eight years ago in Bay City, Michigan, where there is an old Vietnam warship docked called the USS Edson or the Grey Ghost. Paul Spampanato well-respected man that loved the USS Edson. Matter of fact, he loved it so much that he actually lived on board. But then he died. Before he died, he said, if I ever die, I want to die on the ship. But since most people die, including Paul Spampanato, his specter and full-body apparition is commonly seen on board. After taking damage in the Vietnam War, Vietnamese had actually thought it sunk, but after a couple of weeks later and some repairs, it returned, earning its nickname, the Grey Ghost. There's actually been a lot of weird shit that's happened on this boat, including being used on an episode of The Twilight Zone called the 30 Fathom Grave. It's pretty weird. Let's not forget about the mass UFO sighting that took place on board. According to one sailor's story, it was a summer of 62 or 63. Most of the men were in the mess hall watching a film when one sailor came down and said, Hey, you 
USS Edson resides in Bay City, Michigan now, right down the Saginaw River. So, check it out. Pretty cool shit. That clip comes to us from The Haunted Banana on YouTube. Links to all sources used in this episode are in the description below. The Navy declared the USS Edson seaworthy on July 17th, 2012. And it was cleared to begin its journey to Michigan on July 18th with arrival at the museum site on August 7th, 2012. After roughly a year at a temporary mooring site, she floated up the Saginaw River to her permanent mooring site. And on Tuesday, May 7th, 2013, the USS Edson arrived at her permanent location in Bangor Township, Michigan. This article was written by John Robinson, from 99.1 WFMK. The USS Edson sits waiting in the Saginaw River in Bay City, Michigan. The ship was commissioned from 1958 until 1988 and it saw battle. According to the USS Edson website, for the next two decades, Edson served as a valuable member of the U.S. Pacific Fleet, earning a reputation as a Top Gun ship. Paranormal investigators believe the ship is haunted, as does Mike Keekley, president of the Saginaw Valley Naval Ship Museum. Among Mike's reasons are incidences where his tools have seemingly moved on their own from place to place and his car would start up on its own if it were parked near the ship. He recalled incidences of tools being moved. He would put the tools in order, but when returning a few minutes later, he would discover that the tools were all askew. He also says his car does mysterious things when it's near the ship. According to MLive, Mike unlocked and opened the doors of his Lincoln MKZ, and both windows and the moonroof opened while the keys were still in his hand. Another day, a museum employee came in to tell him that his parking lights were on. Keegley told the employee that his lights are automatic, but the employee insisted they were on. Keegley says when he went outside, the car's engine was running, and the lights were in fact on. If you're interested in Michigan ghost stories, legends, and folklore, I cannot recommend John Robinson enough. And to get access to his work, simply follow 99.1 WFMK on Facebook to see his articles. Now, electrical issues could be just that. Some kind of short or a loose fuse or a spark plug causing strange electrical malfunctions, especially in more modern, high-tech cars that run more off of computers than anything else. But if Keegley's Lincoln wasn't brand new, maybe a handful of years old, Seems like that's a little less likely of an explanation. And what of the tools being moved from where he just left them? Could he have just misplaced them 
and forgot? Or is the ship the permanent residence of something unseen? When Josh and I visited the Grey Ghost, we sadly did not have many notable paranormal experiences. We were told that a siren unexplainably went off before we arrived, and during the investigation we had some interesting activity during a group session with a EMF detector. But that's about it. For anyone who may not know, EMF stands for Electromagnetic Field. These little handheld devices tend to spike near things with strong magnetic fields. The idea, at least when it comes to paranormal research, is that if you're in a location, walk through the entire place, note where there are or are not spikes on an EMF detector. And if you're in a spot where nothing seemingly can set it off, it could be something paranormal interacting with the device, especially if it seems to be responding to questions. I personally remember getting my first ever ghost hunting kit, which came with a basic EMF detector I have since upgraded, even though the original still works fine. I have tested them both out in my current place of residence and found that the only things that seem to make it spike are things like a microwave or refrigerator or even your cell phone, things like that. But unless it's very, very close to one of those items within a few feet, it simply sits at zero. Now, does an EMF spike in a place that it normally sits at zero immediately mean paranormal activity or something from beyond trying to interact or communicate? In my opinion, the jury is still out. But it is interesting nonetheless, especially when the spikes seem to be interacting or responding to questions intelligently. Now I do want to be very clear about one thing. Despite the fact that we did not have any notable paranormal experiences, this is a place that both Josh and I would certainly visit again, and we plan to. the nature of the paranormal to never know how active a location is going to be when you arrive, but the ability to free roam all of these locations, to literally be able to wander off into any room, doorway, or even manhole you can find, have complete unfiltered access to a location, in my opinion, is worth the price of admission alone. So even with not encountering many spirits or things from beyond that night. I'll never forget or be able to recommend enough being able to explore such an extraordinary location like the USS Edson or our next location. The next investigation Josh and I did was at another famous Michigan location, the Old Mill in Dundee, Michigan. Mind on the rack Unending strain Painting me black
This is Wayne and Michelle from the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. And you are listening to our good friend Burton, the host of the Follow the Reaper podcast. Prepare your soul for the Reaper. The Old Mill Museum, also known as the Alfred Wilkerson Grist Mill, is a historic structure located along the River Raisin at 242 Toledo Street in Dundee, Michigan. It was designated as a Michigan historic site on August 3, 1979, and was added to the National Register of Historic Places on April 20, 1990, referred to as the oldest landmark in Dundee. While the facility itself was not built until 1849, the dam upon which it is located was first constructed in 1827 and rebuilt in 1846. It is the largest of several dams located along the River Raisin, the majority of which are in nearby Monroe. The facility first served as a grist mill for the milling industry in Dundee, Michigan. Later, the building was converted to produce hydroelectricity as the village's only source of power around 1910, as the oldest surviving structure in Dundee. Automotive magnate Henry Ford purchased the building and restored it at great cost as part of his Village Industries program. His only addition to the original three-story structure was the addition of a single-story structure on the side of the building. He converted the mill into a small factory to produce welding tips for his industry, and he was known to make many visits to Dundee. His interest in Dundee was an experiment to see if small towns could be used for his massive global industry. After Ford's death in 1947, support for the small factory diminished, and it was sold in 1954 to the Wolverine Manufacturing Company, where the building was converted once more to produce paper products. The Wolverine Manufacturing Company used the facility until 1970, when they sold it to the village of Dundee for one dollar. The village revamped the structure for public use as a museum and park. The museum now offers ghost tours and paranormal investigations, and the Old Mill Museum is also the location of the annual Old Mill Parafest. So now that you have a little history on the old mill, I'd like to welcome Josh to tell some of our stories. Now, we recorded this in person, but I cut myself out of most of the conversation as I just wanted his personal experiences and memories. So please, join me, everyone, in welcoming one of my best friends in the world, Josh, to the program in the very beginning we split up because we had 10 people so i think we made three groups one group went to the basement uh me you and somebody else with us went through the museum to the third floor and then another group went into the actual banquet hall of the of the building which was a, a rather large room <clears throat> a large empty room like there was nothing in the room uh other than maybe two tables round tables at one end at the far end from where you would enter the room 
And then, like I said, the, the third team in the basement, we didn't, I'm, I mean, I guess personal experience as far as that goes in the very beginning, we didn't really experience much just, you know, walking through and just using what we had. We didn't really have a lot of equipment when we, when we took on this one. So, I mean, we had, we had some cheap motion sent like motion detectors and, uh, we had some some really weak like EMF detectors. Uh, we did have the laser thermometers, which was that was clutch, and then some glow sticks. That was. We had some, I think we had some voice EVPs, like some recorders, yep. but I don't remember catching too much on any of those. The people who went to the basement immediately tried setting up the motion detectors, and they'd set them up, and they'd immediately they'd go off within seconds of setting up like they'd set them up take five feet to one side and then all of a sudden the motion detector would go off and the, you know and that had them freaking out in the basement because they couldn't figure out why and that went on for maybe 10 15 minutes and then after that there was no more motion detected at all for the rest of the night yeah like so so something weird what was happening there for a minute and then we throughout the night we would just all switch spots. I think the second place we went was the big banquet room, and we, you know, I, I mean, I know I saw foot like shit, like the silhouette of somebody in. There was a storage room at the complete opposite end of the building, or the banquet hall. There was a big storage room that had an exterior door, and that was it. Like there was one interior door from the banquet hall into the room. And then uh, another door, exterior door, um, that room had like all the chairs for the banquet hall in it. And the the light in that room was on a motion sensor and the light would just kick on and you would see what it looked like the leg. Like, you know, you could, there's a good fat inch, inch and a half, maybe two inch gap under the door. And when the light kicked on, you could see. And then it looked like there was somebody like who would like walk around in there. Like I don't even, you know. But then we'd run over, open up the door. There's nobody there. The lights on, you know. Check the exterior door. It's locked. It's shut. Nothing, you know. And then, so we'd close the door, go back to the other end of the, the banquet hall, the wait for the motion light to kick off, and then we'd sit there and wait. And eventually, it kick right back on. And you know what I mean? And you'd see the shadow of somebody like in the room, but then there was nobody there. I think at one point we took and did the whole flashlight thing where you twist the cap of the flashlight to where it's barely connected as far as on and off, you know, and you have the flashlight on, but you twist the light, the top until the light turns off just barely. And then we set the flashlight back on the table and we start asking questions, you know, but you got to keep binary as far as, you know, yes or no, zeros and ones. And yeah, we had the flashlight turn off and on with intelligence, which was weird. Like, I don't know. <laughs> we never still didn't catch an EVP though. Yeah. That was the, the strange thing. Like with the flashlight on the table. You know, I think there was like four of us in the room, like in that banquet hall, all sitting around that table when that when we were doing that. And that was interesting. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, then after a while, we'd all shift change. You know what I mean? So then I, at that point, me, me, you and a friend of ours went to the basement. And in, in the initial 
tour they gave us of the whole place, they said that the most the the the, the best evidence they'd ever caught was in the basement where somebody caught an actual still photo of a large black mass that they I couldn't remember if they said that they had seen it with their own eye or if it was just something they caught in the camera. Um, but then when we were in the basement, the three of us, you know, we, there was a, a, a room right at the bottom of the steps and that was the room where they had caught that black mass. And then off of that room, there was two other rooms that were much, much larger in size. <clears throat> there was no doors on the doorways. The doorways was just an archway that would go to these other that connected to these other rooms. Like one room, like used to be like the boiler and stuff. So there was still like a big tank in there. It was so big that I remember we threw glow sticks to each end of the room just to kind of give us perspective as far as you know when we were trying to look in there and you know see anything. We'd have a depth, you know what I mean. And um, but we sat up three chairs in the main part, the first, the bottom of the stairs room and we sat in those chairs and just kind of waited for a minute just to see how the feeling was going to be and then all of a sudden that's when you know you caught that drop in temperature on that laser thermometer and i want to say the drop was big too it was i want to say it was at least 12 degrees if not more it, this this was in like november I want to say it may have been the beginning of December even. So, I mean, like, it was cold out, but it wasn't, like, that cold out that night. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I guess if I had to guess, there wasn't snow on the ground yet anywhere. So, I mean, we were still in the 40s. You know what I mean? That bad. I mean, we're in yeah. Michigan, so we can do that shit almost all year round. But, <laughs> but I mean... <clears throat> Yeah, so for the temperature to drop like that, it was definitely noticeable. I noticed it immediately before you even said anything because you could feel it through your clothes. Like, you could feel it in you. Like I, like, I don't even know how to explain it, but, like, it was so cold that, like, it was, like, you could, I could feel it on my skin through the layers. You know what I mean? It was a really weird feeling, like a weird cold like and like when it as soon as it hit me then you turned to me and said you know that the dude showed me the thermometer and the temperature dropped like drastically and then <clears throat> literally within seconds of that the third person with us walks over to us from the darkness and he's just you know she doesn't even tell us what she's seeing she just says i need you guys to come over here and take a look at this and confirm she's like is that i don't, I don't I don't believe, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, she's like, I'm not sure what the hell's going on here. So we followed her over to the archway that looked into the basement area under the banquet hall. And, um, yeah, that's where they, we found they had a, a dog fighting pen set up and they were fighting dogs. <laughs> I had to spin it. Absolutely not. They're great people there. That was totally just a joke. But in that basement, <laughs> so when we walked to the archway and we looked at through the basement, at the other end of the basement by the glow stick we had tossed, there was just a single chair sitting in the basement. And it was probably, I don't know, six to eight feet from the from the glow stick. <clears throat> so you could see the, the chair, you could see the glow stick, couldn't see anything else in the room, though. The room was pitch, pitch black. And then as we stood there, she just said, watch. And 
the the glow stick on the floor would just roll around on its own. And I mean, when I say roll around, it'd roll all the way over to the chair, and it'd roll away from the chair, and it'd roll around the chair. And like you could, the chair stayed in the, I mean, like, I mean, I guess if we're trying to be scientists and this is maybe the chair was moving and the glow stick wasn't, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm pretty sure the glow stick was rolling around on the floor. Like, cause that's what it looked like was happening in front of my eyes. And we, all of us just stood there dead silent in amazement and this. I mean, it probably went on for like I don't know. It seemed like at least fifteen minutes, because yeah. like once that started, like we were only in the basement for maybe a total of five, ten minutes, maybe, and then this this happened, and then we spent the rest of the time standing in that doorway watching that glow stick literally just roll all over the floor. Not once did either any of us want to walk over and check this or turn on the light i think we had the power off in the building but i'm not positive because like yeah that and so so around i think at that point i think it was a little after midnight and we all went up to take our first like actual lunch or dinner or break or whatever where they had pizza and they made food for us um yeah once again like they were great like like that was hands down best money ever spent on this as far as investigations go like great people great experiences um knowledgeable after the the dinner break you know we told them to you know come out with us and see what they could you know and they had some they had some good equipment man like that was like getting some results it was kind of cool and we had people like you know in a group that witnessed different things like you brought up the one about the cooler door and I'd almost forgotten about that. But yep. yeah, at one point, the cooler door, somebody, it was more than one person. Because like, we were, like I said, once again, we were in group. Then we had, like, one of the groups actually did hear it. I mean, I don't think we caught it on any kind of recording or anything. But they said they heard it. We had another couple people in a group, you know, thought they uh, saw a shadow look at them from behind the bar while they were in the banquet hall. So the banquet hall... It had a couple exterior doors on it, but then it had the main, like, at the one end where the storage room was, there was, it was like the big entranceway from the rest of the building into the banquet hall. And in that area, it was like a large, large breezeway. And they had a a bar in that area and a door to a large walk-in cooler. And they said that they'd seen... A, a shadow of some sort looked like peek around the edge of the bar into the banquet hall. And that was two people saw that. And then that one group, like I said, heard the door. And then I, you know, I mean, we went through the, the whole entire building twice throughout the night, just investigating everything over again, especially once we had them with us that, you know, they, some of the equipment they had, well, what was the one that the obulus and that, um, that was that was pretty cool. Other than that, I, the like the stuff, not a lot of, I don't know. I mean, didn't hear any weird bumps or bangs. Didn't really hear footsteps. I mean, like we had the interesting stuff on the ovulus upstairs with the piano, and then I mean, other than that, it was pretty chill. I mean, I think we ended up leaving there around 
four in the morning or something. We had a full night of haunting experiences, no doubt. At the beginning, Josh talked about how a room with a door closed had a light that kept turning on and off on its own, and it looked like people were walking around. We could literally see shadows moving from the light cast under the door, but every time we investigated, no one was there. Another story he mentioned was the rolling golf stick. That was all 100% true. Three of us, different people with our own eyes, saw it move with no wind or possible outside force interacting. Simply unexplainable. And for anyone who has heard the first few episodes of this show, that was only the second time I ever witnessed something unexplainably move on its own with my own eyes. The first, of course, being Fort Wayne in Detroit. But there was one story that Josh alluded to at the end of the conversation, but did not go that deep into. It was my experience with the ovulus. For anyone that doesn't know, an ovulus is a device that is preloaded with a massive word bank. It emits an EMF field, and the idea is that a spirit or ghost or something from the other side will be able to manipulate that field to produce a word from the device's word bank on its screen. During the investigation, there was a moment where about four or five of us were on the top floor of the museum. It was a floor with roped-off displays lining the walls. We were with one of the guides from the paranormal team who was using the ovulus. I decided to wander off by myself for a moment. I got clear to the other side of the room, with full-on displays in between us. Behind the velvet rope, there was a piano. Within easy arm's reach, it was right on the other side, and its lid was wide open. Being that Ghostbusters is probably my favorite movie of all time, I tried to play the top two notes, much like Dr. Peter Venkman did when he walked into Dana Barrett's apartment in that film. However, when I tried, no sound came out. And the immediate thought that shot through my head was, oh, it's broken. Not even ten seconds later, I heard the ovulus say something. But I was too far away to make it out. I heard the rest of the group still huddled close together, kind of mutter in a confused way. So I yelled out, What did it say? And the person holding the device responded, It said, It's broken. Even as I sit here and retell this story, I still get goosebumps. This is the only time in my life I feel that it's possible something from the other side was responding, watching, and communicating with me directly. And this was one experience 
I still have no explanation for outside of maybe sheer coincidence. So that's it. I have now taken you through what I call case file number one and two of my personal paranormal investigations. Ones where I actually had equipment, at least some, and came prepared. The next chapter of my paranormal experiences throughout my life. Josh will certainly return with not only some of his own stories, but stories where him and I were both there, investigating together. I certainly hope you all enjoyed this episode and a little tour through a couple of the more notable haunted locations in the state of Michigan. And of course, I want to give a huge, massive shout out to my friend, my brother, Josh, for being on the show for the first time. Certainly not the last. And lastly, all of you out there, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And please, again, if you or anyone you know has a first or second-hand paranormal encounter that they would like shared on the show, please reach out to me at Follow the Reaper Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or follow the Reaper Podcast at gmail.com. I personally run all of those things. So, when you reach out, you're talking directly to me. You can either send in your story typed out and I can narrate it, but we much prefer to hear it come from the witness firsthand. So you could always record a voice memo on your phone and send it over. So please, anyone with the story, please reach out. And one more time, as always, thank you all for joining me as we follow the Reaper.